Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Accelerate Your Performance podcast. I'm Casey Cook-Telionis, and I'll be your guest host for this special podcast series. Thanks for your desire to be your best at work and help your organization achieve success. This podcast is all about actions we can take to improve workplace culture and achieve results. And they are all aligned to our nine principles for organizational excellence. As we approach our next annual leadership conference, What's Right in Education next month, we want to highlight a few interviews we released at the beginning of this summer. In April of 2021, four of our partner organizations shared their stories of success in uncertain times in the American Association of School Administrators, AASA magazine. We also brought these four leaders on our show to discuss the practices they use to help their districts and communities thrive. This week, we're going to revisit our interview from episode 180, Powerful Practices That Build Connection. During Janet's conversation with Dr. Jennifer Lowry, the superintendent of T Area School District in T South Dakota, Jennifer shared about how throughout the pandemic, T Area Schools served as a community hub keeping businesses and families connected. The impact of education and in particularly schools became more relevant in the past year's pandemic with the integral pieces that we play, not only in economics, but the family and everyone moving together as a community. And our children are our most valuable possession that we have. Jennifer is the leader of a growing school district and community. Through her personal and professional experience, she guides her team using the lens of her moral compass. As the administration team meets and makes decisions for the district, they continuously come back to the questions Jennifer describes. The theme of my career and the theme of our administrative team is it has to be good enough for your own child. And our moral compass is defined by, would I put my child in that situation? Would I put my child with that teacher? Because there is no greater compliment than trust. And I value the trust that our community puts in our school. And that's the question I ask people. Would you put your own child into that classroom, into that situation? into that vehicle, into that bus, because they're all of our children. Our administrative team asks that especially a lot as we make big transitions with what we want for our student. We also ask ourselves, is that how we would want our brother or sister to be treated? And really keeping people at the focus of what we do. It's the organization's values or principles that tell people what is most critical what we should prioritize. Keeping values at the forefront of our actions is the difference between values that hang on the wall and values that walk the halls. We can use values to help guide teams to build resilience. The values help leaders stay focused and on track while leading change. We can lean on values to make decisions, focus on what matters, and clearly define success aligned to our purpose. Leaders who turn to their personal values as well as the organization's values create a foundation for disruption and change. And while it's true that we can't control change, 
we can use our values to provide stability and consistency for our culture. In other words, we want our values to be more than statements hanging on a wall. They should be represented in the aligned goals, aligned behaviors, and aligned processes of an organization. Resilient cultures are created when teams, departments, buildings, and entire systems recognize the importance of aligning each individual with the organization's priorities. Leaders who always role model the organization's values will find it easier to align their teams to the values as well. After all, people closely model leadership behaviors for cues on how to act within an organization. Team members look to the leader to set the expectation. When we use values to guide the work, they become part of the decision-making process. Most of us begin communicating about decisions at the, here is the decision mark. If we instead begin our communication at the, here is how we're making decisions mark, we build trust and support for the decisions that we make. During periods of continuous change, uncertainty, or crisis, values can be an anchor that ground employees. When organizations define values and standards to live by, leaders can use those references to the familiar phrases and keywords in their messages. That common language and common behavior helps teams have the same focus, especially during times when distractions are prevalent. Our connection with Studer really came at the perfect time because the tools that we have gained specifically identifying standards of excellence, I believe will be the most impactful and powerful thing we do in terms of culture moving forward. And the practice of integrating those standards of excellence just is really creating power in that it's not about what I can carry, it's about what we as an organization want to stand for and clearly define on how to be a good team. During the interview, Jennifer explains, as an organization grows, it can become harder for the executive leader to personally connect with every individual. This is where standards and culture really play a role in establishing a foundation that a growing organization can build upon. The administrative team took their culture to the next level during the pandemic and recognized it had an opportunity to become a connector and a hub for T-area residents. Because T-Area is a growing community, many of its residents are young families who connect around children's activities and through the schools. The school was really the heart of the community. Everyone in T shares that huge Titan pride. About three weeks into the pandemic, we reached out to our local businesses. I'm also a member of the chamber board and said, what do you need to get out to the community would you like the opportunity to just say where you're at? And so we sent that out through the chamber and then put it on our Facebook. So there was just a link that said, if your hours have changed, if you're still doing takeout food, could you tell us the rules? It wasn't fancy. It didn't have a lot of marketing. It was just a shared document that we could update for them. So the transmission organization could share how you can still get your car fixed and get to work and how they're keeping their business going. And the local tea, tea steakhouse could share what their different protocols were and different specials they were having. So we just connected people and created a central location that didn't cost businesses money and didn't favor any businesses, but they could just provide simple information that was going out to 3,500 
people a night plus whatever was being picked up on our Facebook and Twitter to give an opportunity to communicate in a cost-effective and efficient manner when everything changed almost on an hourly basis of how they could provide services in our community. This example Jennifer provided reminds me of conversations Janet had with Quint and Tad in the spring of 2021. Quint has pointed out that schools and healthcare are often the biggest employers in a community. These two groups have access to a wide number of community members and can also collaborate to provide a variety of benefits beyond healthcare and education. In episode 162, The Intersection Between Healthcare and Education, we learned that building a thriving community all comes back to talent, and education plays a key role in attracting more talent to a community. Our healthcare systems and our communities are only as strong as the talent within them. So, as Quint says, if the hospital and the school district can create great places to work and great places to live, they can retain talent. And whoever gets the most talent will be the most successful, sustainable small community. He also explains almost 90% of all jobs are created by small businesses, yet we get so caught up in trying to attract big businesses, we miss what's going on right in front of us. This partnership between small businesses, education, and hospitals can further benefit students as well. In education, we are hearing a call to meet the future demands of the workforce through innovative, collaborative education opportunities. In some districts, we are seeing partnerships between high schools and local businesses to bring students on as apprentices who learn valuable skills. These opportunities help students learn what they're good at and what interests of theirs may turn into a future career. In turn, this also helps communities keep their talent home. We also know that early childhood education and kindergarten readiness is the number one indicator of financial sustainability of a community. Education needs to start in the hospital before parents ever leave. School districts have a unique key role to play in helping hospitals set parents up for success. Quint talks about all of these topics in more depth. To hear more, go back and listen to episode 162. Overall, education and healthcare organizations can support each other and help small businesses with training and development of students and leaders while also encouraging employees to shop locally. Which brings me back to Jennifer. The team at T-Area recognized their unique position as a school district and become a hub for their community. As a result of this support to small businesses, the district had more support for Teacher of the Year than ever before. This became a mutual effort on part of the school district and the business. What a great example of how the school and businesses can work together to support our communities. We will also hear more stories of communities collaborating through crisis from bold leaders at What's Right in Education. Join us there virtually October 27th and 28th. Just visit studereducation.com events to view the speaker's agenda and register. As Jennifer and Janet continued their conversation, Jennifer shares timeless advice for leaders who engage employees to provide feedback. So I will be completely transparent. Sometimes feedback is heartbreaking. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's personal. There's positives and there's things that you really have to look in the mirror at. And we've tried to get better at not just collecting feedback, but being purposeful in our communication to say, 
in an effort of continuous improvement, based on this feedback, we are closing the loop to do these three action items. And I think that closing that loop and using the specific language that is constantly the same language that connects them, the feedback to closing the loop and always using that has really helped us move forward. Jennifer has touched on a critical part of harvesting feedback, and that is what we do with the feedback. If we want employees to give us feedback, we need to let them know that we value that information and we're going to use it to improve. If we ask people for feedback and then do nothing with it, they're probably going to stop giving us feedback. When we are collecting feedback and acting on it, the amount of feedback we receive can sometimes be overwhelming. However, more feedback is a good sign. That means our teams are engaged and they want to improve their workplaces. This can still be difficult to manage at times because as leaders, we have to make decisions that people won't always agree with. So as a leader, you carry a heavy burden and you have to be able to sometimes sit by yourself and know what are the principles that you're going to fall on and in order to sleep at night. And so if you can define the two or three principles which we've talked about today for me is, is that okay for my own child? Is that how I would want my brother or sister to be treated? Is that how we wanna be remembered? When the decision is really, really tough, be able to come back to two or three questions that you can ask yourself and move forward with peace because leadership is often lonely. So you have to have what your principles are and your core questions so that you can make the best decision for that moment and move forward with peace. So there's no shortage of difficult decisions leaders have to make. The questions I ask myself when I have a difficult decision to face are, first, I ask, what information am I considering when making this decision? Is it reliable? For me, this question relates to integrity. Am I making the best decision I can with the information I have? Next, I ask, am I ready to take accountability if this decision fails? This question questions my belief in the decision itself. And lastly, is this something I would put on a billboard? For me, this question relates to the value of impact. Is this the impact I want to have on the world? Or is this what I want to be known for? My decisions fall back on my integrity, beliefs, and the impact I wish to have on the world. This week, think about what Jennifer asked. What are those principles you are going to fall on in order to sleep at night? What questions will you ask yourself when it comes to tough decisions? Consider defining those two to three principles for yourself to come back to. As we continue to experience change and uncertainty, remember to take care of yourself. No matter how many things you accomplish today, there will always be more work tomorrow. Part of leadership is also taking the right steps to safeguard your well-being and mindset so that you're in the best place to lead for your team. Thank you for tuning in to Accelerate Your Performance. Please share the podcast and leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. If you're looking for more resources related to today's episode, head over to studereducation.com slash podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week as we continue this series focused on stories of success during uncertain times and the nine principles for organizational excellence so that we can be our best at work. Have a great weekend.